0: Amen. Well, if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. And as we've been going through the Gospels in chronological order, we are in a different Gospel each and every week. But for the past few weeks, we've been in the Gospel of John. And we've been covering John chapter 8. And at this point in time, Jesus is on His way into Jerusalem, where He's going to meet the cross. He's going to be crucified. And in John chapter 8, Jesus went up to the Feast of Tabernacles. And it was here that though He went up in secret, He started to preach and teach boldly and openly, And he taught in the temple area and then he went to the treasury area of the temple. So a very public place. And it was here while Jesus was boldly preaching and teaching the people that the religious leaders attempted an arrest on Jesus. They attempted to lay hands on him. They attempted to entrap him, trying to find an offense against him. But obviously we know none of this panned out for the religious leaders as it was not Jesus' time for him to be arrested And the last that we saw in John chapter 8, the religious leaders picked up stones and tried to stone Jesus. And this came off of Jesus' proclamation that He was, I am. He was proclaiming Himself to be God, and to be the God that these religious leaders would have read about in the law, the same God that spoke to Abraham and to Moses, He is God. And as Jesus taught this, the people did not take it lightly, and they picked up stones and tried to kill him. However, Jesus, He slipped past them and left. And that's where we were at last week. So today, we're actually going to be in the Gospel of Luke. So turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. We're going to start today in verse 1, and we're going to see what happens next after Jesus left the temple in Judea. So Luke chapter 10, we're just going to start in verse 1. Let's see what it says. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before His face into every city and place where He Himself was about to go. So after Jesus' time in the temple in Judea, He appoints 70 people to go out to prepare the way for Him, sending them into cities that He Himself will enter shortly Now, this is fascinating because it shows us that Jesus, he had more followers than just the 12. We know at least there were 70 here who believed in him, and Jesus had appointed them and was sending them out. But we know that Jesus, he closely mentored the 12, and even within the 12, closely mentored and discipled three, Peter, James, and John. But there were more followers than just the 12. And that was a really cool picture for me because it was a reminder that God's church is so much bigger than what we make it out to be. Many times as we're in church, we, we, we just see our brothers and sisters who are within these four walls and we think this is the church. That's not the case. The church is so much bigger than these four walls. And we've put up so many walls through denominations and through so many, so many divisions when really we're one family in Christ if they're teaching the word of truth and they believe what we believe, that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. And so it's a neat picture. Now, we're not told the identity of these 70 people, only that they were followers of Jesus. Jesus. And the author Luke tells us that Jesus appointed these 70 to go out. The word appointed here, it means to proclaim one as elected in the highest form of office. This word would be the word that would be used to describe a king being appointed to kingship and for someone to be appointed into the highest form of service. And it's really neat how this is the word that Jesus uses. Or the Gospel of Luke uses, describing how Jesus appointed these 70 to go out. Because as Jesus appointed these 70, so he appointed us, and he has called these 70 and us to the highest form of service we possibly could do. And what is that? To share the Gospel of Jesus Christ and to proclaim the coming of Jesus. Now, when you think about going out and sharing the Gospel and telling people about your faith, do you view that as the highest form of service? Do you view that as... It's a tremendous responsibility and a privilege, or do you view it as a chore? Do you view it as, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go out and share Jesus. I don't want people to tell me to go out and share Jesus. This is the highest form of service we've been appointed to as Christians, to go out with the truth that we've received in Jesus and to share it with others. Now, what's also amazing is Jesus appointed these 70 to go out. Jesus has appointed us to go out. He has qualified us. For the work of ministry. That's amazing. These 70 weren't being sent out based upon their credentials. They were being sent out because Jesus appointed them to go out and He was going to equip them and strengthen them to do the work that He was sending them to do. And for us as well, it's important we remember we're not qualified for the work of ministry by our credentials, we're qualified by the Holy Spirit who lives within our hearts. And if you'd argue that, take a look at Acts chapter 4, verse 13. When Peter and John are before the religious leaders, Luke wrote this in that chapter of Acts. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Peter and John did amazing things for God's kingdom, but it wasn't their credentials and it wasn't them doing it. It was the spirit inside of them who equipped them to do the work. And so for each one of us, this should be a massive encouragement to us that we're qualified for the work of ministry through the Holy Spirit and through what Christ has done for us. That said, is your dependence on yourself or the Holy Spirit as you go out and do the work of ministry? Are you depending on what you know and what you think you can do instead of depending on the Holy Spirit? Because we can go out with all the credentials in the world, but if the Spirit of God is not within us, it's not going to prosper. We need God's Holy Spirit. And is your dependence on His Spirit or is it on yourself and your own resources? Now, next thing we see in verse 1, Jesus sent these 70 out two by two. That's pretty significant. Why didn't Jesus send them out one by one? This way they could have covered 70 cities or 70 villages or 70 towns. Why did he send them out two by two? Well, I think for a few reasons here. But I believe Jesus was showing us we need to come alongside each other as believers. Believers. And something that we are seeing more and more commonly today is a great division within the church and a great separation amongst believers. And really, Christ has called us together as one family for the sake of furthering his kingdom. There are no lone rangers in Christianity. And many times, there are a lot of people who think that there are. That they don't need to be in fellowship, that they don't need to be held accountable, that they don't need to be around other Christians. And it's alive the enemy. The word of God makes it clear not to forsake the assembling together because we need one another as believers. Not that we're dependent on each other for our walk with Christ, but we need to come alongside each other as a family. And by sending them two by two, they had accountability with one another. They could encourage each other and they could serve one another as they were doing the work that God has called them to do. We also know that if two witnesses agree on anything on earth, it will be established. And so by Jesus sending him out two by two, this was very important, very significant, and it's a great model for us to follow today. We need to be held accountable by our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to encourage each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we need to come alongside each other as we're doing the work of God, building each other up for the work of ministry. Now, last thing, and then we'll move on in verse 1. Notice Jesus sent them into every city and place where he himself... Was about to go. That's a pretty cool picture that we get here that Jesus was seven, sending these 70 out to places that He would come, and these 70 were going to prepare the way for Jesus. To prepare the way for the coming of Jesus. And you probably already know where I'm going with this. We're called to be doing the same thing today, preparing for the coming of Jesus, because Jesus is coming back again. But many people. They like to dismiss that fact. They like to ignore it. They don't like to think on that fact. Jesus is coming again, and we will all face Jesus one day. And this life that we have on this this earth, it's a short life. But as long as we're here on this earth, we have been given a responsibility to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to prepare the way for Jesus and for His coming, to warn people of judgment, to encourage people that there is a God who loves them, that there is hope, and its name is Jesus Christ. That said, are you preparing the way for our king? And maybe I ask that question, but you think, well, I'm not preparing the way for the king because I'm not ready to face the king myself. And that's very true at times. And it's always a good question to ask ourselves, am I ready to face Jesus? Am I ready to face the king? Because as always, we can't give what we don't have. Let's look at verse 2. Then he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into... His harvest. So Jesus told the 70 that the harvest truly is great, but the laborers or the workers are few. Now, Jesus oftentimes, he likened the world and ministry to a field. It was terminology that he used, and it was relatable terminology for the people to understand. If you remember the parable of the soils, Jesus likened human hearts to soil and the word of God falling on it. So this is a very common um, analogy that Jesus would use. So what does Jesus mean within this statement that the harvest is plentiful? Well, Jesus is saying that the need for the gospel is so great in the hearts of the lost. They are seeking truth. They want to know the truth of Jesus Christ. They want to know that there's hope and that there is life and that there is forgiveness. And nothing has changed since Jesus has spoke this. As the harvest was plentiful then, it's plentiful now. Do you see the need for Jesus in this city? Do you you see the hearts of people who are genuinely seeking to know the truth? But many don't know the truth. Why? Because no one tells them. The need for the gospel is great, and hearts are open to receive Jesus. But as Paul would write in Romans 10, how will they hear unless someone tells them? And so once again, as Christ is sending us out, he wants us to see the need for the gospel. He wants us to share and preach the gospel. Now, what does Jesus mean when he says the workers are few? Because you look in Chiang Mai, it doesn't look like the workers are few. There's a lot of missionaries here. I remember when we were in Burma, if you saw a Westerner, you stopped and acknowledged each other. It was very uncommon to see another Westerner, and you, whoa, well, wow, you're here. Then I came to Chiang Mai, and there's missionaries everywhere. There's, not, there's another one. There's another one. So, what does Jesus mean when he says the laborers are few? Was that only in reference to the time Jesus was in? No, the laborers are still few today. Because not many are willing to go out and share the gospel. And there are many amongst us who have gone out into the mission field, but yet don't share the gospel. And this is a great tragedy. And it happens to all of us. Where we get so caught up in the work of ministry that we end up neglecting our responsibility to share Jesus and preach the gospel to the lost. Where we get so centered upon people groups instead of the people God's placed right in front of us. And God has been convicting my heart hard on this because... Many times I want to segregate into the groups that I want to minister to and there's so many people who pass by me daily And so maybe there's a lot of missionaries here, but the truth remains the truth. We need to go out and share jesus And this is a sad statistic, but it's still true today There's more missionaries here than anywhere else in asia and one can make the argument in the world And yet there's one percent christian and that's not to say we're responsible for changing hearts We can't only the spirit can but are we going out and sharing? Going to a different country doesn't make us missionaries. Being a Christian makes us a missionary. And each one of us are called to share Jesus. Are we doing it? And maybe you've been believing the lie of the enemy that you're not equipped enough to go out and share Jesus, that you don't have what it takes to go out and evangelize, that it's not your spiritual gifting. That's not true because the Spirit of God lives in each one of our hearts as Christians, and the Holy Spirit will give you the boldness to preach and teach Jesus all we have to do is be faithful and obedient to the Spirit of God and His leading and go out and do it. Or maybe you're believing the other lie that the enemy has blinded many to and that you're comfortable living your life and your comfortability has become a hindrance to your obedience to the gospel. Are you going out and sharing? And maybe you're here today and you've been Ministering, And you've been discouraged lately in the work of ministry because Satan wants nothing more than for you to be worn out and burnt out. And I want to encourage you, continue on in the work that Christ has called for us. Continue on in the ministry God has called you to. Galatians 6, 9, Paul wrote this, Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Let's look at verses 3 through 8. "'Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals, and greet no one along the road. But whatever house you enter, first say, Peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house.' Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. So Jesus told these 70 that he was sending them out as sheep amongst wolves, and Christ's sending us out is the same picture. He's sending us out as sheep amongst wolves. Now, why does Jesus describe the church as sheep? Why would he use this terminology to describe us going out as sheep? I think there's a few reasons here. First and foremost, the sheep is a very dependent creature. If you ever look at a sheep, it's not the most intelligent one. That's I'm not saying anyone's not intelligent in here. Right? Some of us are sharper than others. Right? But sheep are very dependent. And if you watch a sheep, sometimes the sheep will get stuck in a ditch, the shepherd will come lift the sheep out, and the sheep will get stuck in the ditch it just got rescued from. That's what sheep do. They need to be guided. They need to be led. Without a shepherd, the sheep are going to die. And do you see the picture? Us being sent out as sheep, we're not dependent. In the work of ministry, we we need the Holy Spirit. We're not independent, I'm sorry. We're not independent in the work of ministry. We're dependent. We need the Holy Spirit. We can't do anything without our shepherd, Jesus Christ, in his leading, in his guidance. Apart from God's Spirit, we can do nothing. And there's many Christians trying to reach the world going against the leading of the Holy Spirit. And that fruit, there will be no fruit from that. We need God's Spirit. Number two, a lamb is innocent. If you go up to a lamb, it's not going to attack you and kill you. A lamb is an innocent creature. And Christ has called us to go out and love, to turn the other cheek, to be set apart, to live like him. And when Jesus sent us out, he made a clear distinction. He said, your sheep in the world is like wolves. He didn't say you're the same. There's a clear distinction and there should be a clear difference between us and the world. We should be going out and loving others. Even when it's not fair, when it doesn't make sense, even when people wrong us. The response is to love. And the message we should be sharing with our brothers and sisters here in this world, we have to love. This is what Christ commanded us to do. Number three, why would Jesus describe us as sheep? Because this is the life that Jesus exemplified for us. He modeled this lifestyle. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He didn't repay evil when evil was dealt to him. And the idea of being sent out like a lamb, it's one of servant leadership. And this is what Jesus exemplified. He was a servant leader. And when people mocked Him and reviled Him, He didn't re- return it with evil. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23 says, When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but committed Himself to Him who judges righteously. Isaiah 53, 7 says this, He was oppressed and He was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so He opened not His mouth. And so if this is how Jesus modeled for us, how to live and minister, we should be following that example. Now, why would Jesus send these 70 out without any supplies? Why would He send them out and actually forbidding them to take anything? He said, don't take anything with you. For the American in us, if you're from America, that doesn't make any sense. Why would Jesus tell them to go out without any supplies? And for us as Christians, is Jesus telling us to get rid of everything that we own in order to serve Him? no. But I think the message of Jesus was clear for these people. I think he was trying to establish a heart set for these people that they were nothing but pilgrims and sojourners in this earth. That they shouldn't be blinded and distracted by the things and the cares and the riches of this world. Why? Because they had to focus on the ministry that God had called them to and what he was placing right in front of them. And with that said, are you been distracted lately from the work that Christ has called you to? by the things of this world. What has been taking your time, your attention and your focus off of serving Jesus? Because as Christians, we're called to live not of this world, but many Christians have lived like this world is their home and they've become very comfortable with it. Very comfortable living a casual and a nominal lifestyle. Christ hasn't called us to this. He wants us to serve him without distractions. And I believe the heart set Jesus was trying to instill in these people was that their lives were committed to the Lord, and that they shouldn't be distracted by the cares and the riches of this world. And Christ would provide every one of their needs for them. Does this sound like your heart today? Jesus also commands them as they go out. He told them to stay where God gave them peace. That's very important. God was giving these 70 discernment. right? God wasn't sending them out to go do whatever they wanted. They were going to do and stay with whomever God had led them to. He was giving them discernment and peace by His Holy Spirit. And I believe he did this for a couple reasons. Number one, so that they wouldn't be abiding and living with people who were of ill report. They had their character and their reputation to guard. Number two is to keep them safe. Jesus sending these 70 out is important. They came back, all 70, because in John 17, Jesus, while praying to the Father, said, Of all those you have given to me, I lost none of them. And so they were to act on the discernment of the Spirit As we've been sent out and as God has called us to ministry, are we depending again on His Holy Spirit and on the discernment that He's given us? It's not always easy to act on God's discernment because sometimes where the Spirit leads us is not somewhere we want to go. Take Jonah, for example. The Spirit was leading him to Nineveh. He didn't want to go there. So much so that he went the opposite direction. Because following God's Spirit is not always easy. But we need to be following His Spirit. And Christ reassures these 70 as they go out that Christ was going to provide their every need. All they had to do was trust him and be focused on what he was calling him to do. And maybe you're here today and you need to be reminded of that. You need to be reminded that God will provide for your every need. You need only to be focused on the work that God has called you to. And your trust needs to be in Christ and he will provide. Let's like verses 9 through 12. And heal the sick there and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, The very dust of your city which clings to us we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. But I say to you that it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. So Jesus gives these 70 further instructions and he says, heal the sick. This was a sign for the people that the Messiah was coming. This was a sign of the kingdom of God coming, was seeing the healing of the sick. It was to point people to the coming of Jesus. And today, I think it's important we note this. Does Jesus still work in this way today? Absolutely. Jesus does still supernaturally heal. Jesus still does supernatural miracles and wonders because He hasn't changed. But I think it's wrong to be centered on miracles and and, and miraculous signs in order to share about the coming of Jesus because Christ has given us something that's such a powerful tool as we go out and share today. It's the Word of God. He's given us His Word. And this is what we have to point people to. But God still supernaturally heals, and I think it's important to note that. So Jesus further told these people that as you go out, and if you get rejected, he said, just shake off the dust from your feet. Commit the judgment to these people to God. Don't take things into your own hands. Why did Jesus share this? Well, I think Jesus shared it because just a chapter ago in Luke, James and John came up to Jesus and they said, Jesus, this Samaritan village that doesn't want to accept you, can we call fire down from heaven and consume them and destroy them all? they rejected us and Jesus rebuked them he said no my heart is a heart of mercy and love he said I've come to seek and save that which was lost he didn't come to bring death and destruction and I think within this commission as Jesus tells these followers wipe the dust off your feet and commit judgment to God who judges justly it's a great picture for us of the heart of Jesus and the heart that we should be having as we go out and minister and as we've been sent out into the work of ministry and we sang it in the song before we started, but it's a, great, it's a great line. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. Give us a heart that looks like Jesus. Does your heart look like Jesus as you've been going out to minister? Or do you harbor up bitterness and anger in your heart towards the people who have wronged you? Because that bitterness and that anger is nothing but a prison that will suck the very life out of you. And that will keep you from being fruitful in the ministry God has called you to as well. The heart of a servant sent out should be one of mercy. And this is not always easy to do because this requires constantly a laying down of self and a laying down of pride. But this is why Scripture says we need to crucify self. We're not called to have a heart of pride as we go out and minister. And lastly, Jesus says that it will be better for Sodom in the day of judgment than for the cities in which these these Christians are rejected and these cities in which they wipe the dust off their feet. Now that's a pretty amazing statement that Jesus made because Sodom was completely obliterated in Genesis, if you remember. For their immorality, God rained down fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. But he says it's more tolerable in the day of judgment than for these cities. Why? Because these cities would have had the truth shared with them. These cities heard the truth of Jesus and still rejected it. They're going to be doubly accountable in the day of judgment than for Sodom. And this is a slight tangent, but I think it's important application for us as Christians. What are we doing with the truth and the word of God that we have in our hearts? Because we are doubly accountable as Christians for the way that we live our lives. And we are doubly accountable for having the truth. And we're accountable with what we do with that truth. Are we sharing it? Are we going out and telling people about Jesus? Warning them of the judgment that they will experience if they don't surrender and put their faith in Jesus Christ. Let's look at verses 13 through 16. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. He who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. And he who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. So now Jesus begins to rebuke these cities within Israel. And it's important to note, as Jesus mentions Tyre and Sidon, these were pagan Gentile cities through the Old Testament were many times had judgment pronounced upon them. And they were conquered by Babylon. They were conquered by Alexander the Great, by Artaxerxes. They were just always being dealt judgment because of their unbelief. But Jesus says that these cities within Israel, this Chorazin and this Bethsaida, which were north of the Sea of Galilee, are going to be experiencing a far worse judgment because they are of Israel. These are the ones who should be looking for the coming of their Messiah. These are the ones who are supposed to be God's people, and yet they are rejecting Jesus. They saw His working power and His might, and yet they still hardened their hearts and did not believe in Him. And it's truly amazing the level of unbelief that these hearts possessed. So because they saw the working power of God and rejected it, they had a strict judgment. And again, as we just kind of shared briefly in the last few verses, I think this is also an important tangent that we're going to go on real quick. But it's a good application. Jesus is saying that because these cities have heard the truth and they refuse to act on the truth, they're going to have a strict judgment. Jesus said in in Luke chapter 12, verse 48, He says, For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. And this is a great reminder for us as Christians that as we have been entrusted with the truth and the gospel of Jesus Christ, we need to go out and proclaim it. We need to go out and share. With who? The people we want to share with? No, the people God places in front of us. When? When it's convenient for me? No, whenever the God's Spirit leads us to. Because many people today, they don't believe that it's a sin to not share the gospel. But that's not true because in James chapter 4, verse 17, James says, anyone who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. And many Christians, they don't understand the gravity and the depth that it is a sin and not preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to not go out with the truth that we know and the truth that we've received and sharing it with the world that's going to burn in hell for eternity if they don't surrender to Jesus Christ. And so we've been committed much and we're going to be held accountable with what we do with the truth. But back to the text, Jesus tells the people that if they're rejected, it is not they themselves being rejected, but rather himself. Whoever rejects us, rejects Jesus. And I believe Jesus shared this as an encouragement. Why? Because if sharing the gospel was about acceptance, we would never make it. We would never make it if it was about acceptance. But the sharing of the gospel is not about acceptance. It's about obedience to God. And this is why Jesus taught his disciples, Do not be men-pleasers, but be God-pleasers. Don't do what the world tells you to do. Do what I've told you to do. Why? Because obedience to God is far greater than acceptance by this world. And many Christians are too afraid of what the world will think of them if they take a stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ and the truth of Scripture. But sharing the gospel is not about acceptance. It's about obedience. Are we being obedient? So get verses 17 through 18. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So we see the 70 come back. So we're not told exactly by the author, Luke, how much time had passed since they were sent out to the time they returned. But the 70 come back in verse 17. And there's a lot to unpack within these verses, but we're going to go through them quickly. Number one, notice in verse 17, the 70 all returned and they all returned with joy. That's important. That's significant. Why? Because again, in John chapter 17, when Jesus prays to the Father, he tells the Father, of all those you've committed to me, I lost none. So it was important that all 70 came back. But we know that this is not always the case, is it? When people are sent out to do the work of Jesus, sometimes it's not always the same result. Sometimes they don't always make it back. And I think it's important that we, to we, that we note this. Hebrews chapter 11 is a great example of this. It's a great chapter. You start reading. It's amazing. You go through this chapter of faith, but then you get towards the end, and it kind of shifts a little bit. And the author says, but for some, it wasn't like that. Some were imprisoned. Some were tortured. Some were killed. One was cut in half. Some, they they didn't get to see the promises fulfilled, because health and wealth are not a sign of success in the work of ministry. And this is a very common teaching that's being taught throughout many churches, that If you're not healthy and you're not wealthy, then God's blessing's not on you. That it's all Satan. Well, that's not always the case. Because health and wealth are not the signs of success in the work of ministry. What is the sign of success? Being obedient to what God has called us to do and giving up whatever He requires of us to give up. And it's important that we note this. Sometimes the work is difficult. These all 70, they return with joy. And sometimes when we do the work that Christ has called us to, it's not always pleasant. It's hard at times. But we always have This example that we should always be coming back with joy, no matter what we're going through in ministry. Why? Because what a privilege it is to do the work that God has called us to do. How many of you are inconvenienced by the work God has called you to? How many of you are frustrated by the work God has called you to? It's easy to get on that mentality. God convicts my heart in that many times throughout the week. But no matter what we're going through, we should always be coming back with joy. Why? Because it's a privilege. It is a privilege to be used by God and to be His hands and feet and to share of His love to others. Number two, the 70 returning with joy indicates, watch this, that there was no schism within those 70 that were sent out. There was no disunity amongst them. They didn't, it doesn't say that they came back frustrated and said, Jesus, I hate this person you sent me out with. That, that's not what happened. They all came back with joy because they were united for the work of ministry. There was no division within the 70 that went out. That's important to note because, again, We think it's okay to be divided as the church, and Jesus taught on that. He said, no, there should be no division amongst the body of Christ. And again, kind of going back to what we saw in verse 1, the church is so much bigger than what we think it is. And it's important we don't get in that secluded mindset where we think we're better than other Christians. Well, they're not going out and doing this. They're they're, They're not doing what God has called them to do. We get in that mindset so many times instead of just coming alongside and encouraging each other in the work of ministry. We're one family. And we're to serve each other in unity and working together for the furthering of the kingdom, building up one another, not tearing each other down. We're not at competition with other churches. We're not at war with other Christians. We're serving in the same family, serving the same God to further the same kingdom. And we need to be encouraging one another in this work. Number three, within verse 17, the 70 said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. This is significant because it tells us the powers and forces of darkness are subject to the working power of Jesus Christ. And this should encourage us greatly that no power can stand against our Lord Jesus Christ. No demonic force, no kingdom of darkness, no sin, no threat can stand against Jesus Christ. And it's so easy to be distracted and discouraged by the evil in this world and by the working of the enemy that we lose sight of the fact that he's a defeated foe. Don't give credit to the enemy. Instead, put your confidence in who our God is. The forces of darkness are subject to Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, John wrote this, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in this world. And the last point here in these verses is verse 18, Jesus' response. He said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That's an interesting statement that Jesus makes. And for me, it's a reassurance that Satan, though he has power, he has an inferior power to Jesus Christ. Yeah, the work of the enemy is great. Yeah, he has power, but it's inferior to Jesus. Again, a lot of Christians have a comic book picture of God and the devil where they're these rivals and they have the same power. That's not the case. Satan's a defeated foe, a created foe. And Christ is so much greater than him. And as we go out and share the gospel, it does great damage to the kingdom of darkness. It's a cool verse. We're in enemy territory in case you needed to be reminded of that. There are so many who need Jesus and there's so much forces of darkness at work here in this place. And if you've noticed here in the city, this is a hub where people from all over the world come to do sinful things. And though the power and and the wickedness of Satan is so great, it's an inferior power to Jesus Christ. And so what can we do with the heart surrendered to Jesus and with his word going out into this darkness? We can make an impact because it's not us doing it. It's his Holy Spirit. And as the enemy is always trying to capitalize on moments to blind people to his lies, are we capitalizing on all the moments that we have to share Jesus and to preach the gospel? Let's look at our last two verses, verses 19 through 20. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. So Jesus tells E70 into us that authority has been given to us by him. And this once again points us to the power and character of Jesus. If Jesus has the ability to grant authority to someone over the kingdom and forces of darkness and over all the things of this earth, he must be God. He has to be. Jesus alone has this authority. Now a lot of people take this verse out of context and they misconstrue it as we were just sharing earlier where people said that if you're serving Jesus, you're always going to be healthy and wealthy, and if anything happens to you, then you're outside of God's will. And they take this verse and they quote it out of context. When really the word trample here in the Greek language, it's a word that means to advance forward and overcome even the most severe trials. In other words, the authority we're given in Jesus Christ is greater than any attack, temptation, or working power of Satan in his kingdom of darkness. The enemy has no power or authority over us. And we've been talking about this in John 8 as Jesus taught on freedom. But maybe you're here today and you're in sin. And there's been a sin in your life that has been blinding you and it's been separating you from God and you think you're powerless over it. The truth is Christ has given us authority over this. And this sin, this darkness, the powers of Satan has no authority over Jesus Christ. It's your confidence in who Jesus is and what he's done for us. If Jesus has given us his authority, we should be confident to share with whoever God places in front of us. We should be willing to give up anything Christ requires of us if He truly is who He says He is. And even if we would lose our lives, this confidence that we have still remains. Our faith in Jesus. Because sometimes sharing the gospel does result in the laying down of our lives. Is it worth it? Yes. Because our confidence remains the same. It's our faith in Jesus Christ. One last thing to note here in verse 20. Jesus says, Do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, I love how Jesus says this. Because if I were these 70, this is what I would be excited about too. Even in this day, I'd still be excited about this. And I love how Jesus kind of redirects their attention. But I had to ask myself, why would Jesus do this? Why shouldn't shouldn't this be a center of their rejoicing? And I believe a couple things here. Jesus first and foremost redirects them in their rejoicing to something far greater, their salvation in Him. Because nothing is greater than what Christ has done for us. And this should be the basis of our joy. It should be the basis of our ministry. It should be the basis of our life, what Jesus Christ has done for us. And everything we say and do should be a result of what Jesus has done for us. The greatest cause of rejoicing is the fact that we've been saved and redeemed by Jesus Christ and that we have eternal life. And so I have to ask this question Have you lost the joy of your salvation lately? Jesus said this should be the center of their joy. This should be what they should focus their joy on, and yet it's many times it's easy to lose the joy of our salvation. And maybe you've been burned out in ministry and the work God has called you to. Maybe you haven't been serving with joy, and maybe the culprit is this, you've lost the joy of your salvation. You've been so carried away by the work of the enemy, you've been so carried away by all the responsibilities you have to do that you have forgotten the great working power of Jesus in your own life. And for me, as I serve the Lord many times Ah, so Lord, Lord, why do I have no joy? And the Lord always points me back to this, because you've lost sight of what I've done for you. And when we lose sight of what Christ has done for us, it's so easy to think that Christ can't move and work and do what he, only He can do, in the ministry He's called us to. And maybe it's sin in your life that's been blinding you to joy. Because whenever you're in sin, this certainly takes your eyes off of what Christ has done for you. This is why David prayed in Psalm 51 after his sin with Bathsheba. He said, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. God has given you a testimony, and that's a beautiful thing. And it's given to us not just as a tool to reach the lost with, but it's to remind ourselves of what Jesus has done for us. And the the last thought here on this verse, why would Jesus redirect their attention to their salvation instead of the fact that demonic forces are subject to them in Christ's name? I believe because Jesus wanted the focus to be on himself. Not on what they thought they did. Not on what they think they can do but rather on who Jesus Christ is and what He's done. Because when our focus is on our salvation, we realize that we are nothing without Christ, that we have nothing without Him. We've been saved only because of Him. And when we go out and do the work that God has called us to, we can only do anything in and through Him. Jesus has to be the center of everything that we say and do because we can do nothing without Him. And so maybe your joy has been off of Jesus and it's on the things that you've done the things that you think you've done, the things that you know, the things that you think you can do instead of what the Holy Spirit can do in and through your life. But this is a great basis of of the ministry God has called us to. The foundation of the ministry Christ has called us to is the joy of our salvation, what Christ has done for us. So I'll wrap up with this and then we'll continue our worship. As we covered verses 1 through 20, we saw Jesus sending out the 70. And obviously this commission to the 70, it's a commission to us. Christ didn't just commission His disciples to go out and preach the gospel to all creatures. He's commissioned us to do it as well. And so within this, what does living a sent-out life look like? Number one, doing what we've been called to do. Serving one another as Christians in unity and love. Depending on Jesus, not ourselves, not our credentials, on Jesus. Displaying servant hearts. Not being distracted by the things of this world. Trusting God to provide for our needs. Committing ourselves to God and to His judgment. And of course, sharing the gospel. And so before we pray, let me just ask you this. What excuses are you making up to not be obedient to the calling to go out and preach the gospel? And that's a question to myself. What excuses do I come up with to keep me from going out to share of what Jesus Christ has done for me? And will these excuses be valid when I stand before Jesus and give account for the truth that He's entrusted me with? Are we going out and sharing? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just thank you, Lord, for your goodness and mercy. We thank you, Lord, as we read this, as you've sent these out, Lord, that you've also sent us out, Lord, that you've appointed us to the highest form of service to preach the gospel. And, Lord, you've qualified us. We're not qualified by ourselves. Praise you, Lord, because we can never be qualified on our own. But, Lord, you've qualified us by your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you're always with us, Lord, that you always provide for us, that you are faithful, God. And I pray, Lord, that we would just be obedient to the calling you've placed in our lives to go out and to share the gospel, Lord, to go out and be bold witnesses of what you've done and who you are, Lord. Father, I just thank you for this time that we had in your word. I pray, Lord, that your word would take deep root in our hearts, Father. We just thank you, God, so much for your goodness, for your compassion, for who you are. And, Lord, we just pray that you are continue to be honored in this house today, Lord. We love and praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.